Do you seek the freedom to pursue greater meaning and purpose in your life? Is there something that you're passionate about that you'd like to support by giving time, talent, or money? Do you seek a level of financial freedom to live an ideal life as you uniquely define it? Welcome to the Money and Meaning Show with Jeff Bernier, a show dedicated to helping you gain the confidence and freedom to lead a life of personal significance and help you get your actions and resources in alignment with what matters most. Well, hello and welcome to the Money and Meaning Show. My name is Jeff Bernier. I am so pleased that you decided to spend a few minutes with me today. I'm really excited about today's show. It is it is long overdue uh, for having this guest on. Uh, and what I'm about to tell you, you've probably heard before because I tell this story a lot. Um, but back in 2013, I reread Bob Buford's classic book, Halftime, uh, all about how to move from success to significance in the second half of your life. And I was approaching my 50th birthday at the time, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like this is something that I really needed to hear at this point in my life. And I got really excited about trying to figure out what God wanted me to do essentially with the rest of my life. And it was at a time where our business was doing reasonably well. And I thought I had uh, the margin to actually explore some of these things. So I got really passionate about learning more about this whole idea of helping others figure out how to have a meaningful and fulfilling second life. And how do we marry that with our wealth management practice? So about that season, I enrolled in the Halftime Institute. And the Halftime Institute was an intensive training around these subjects. Uh, subject of money and meaning and purpose and how do you live a second half of significance. And as part of that process, I won the lottery. And the reason I won the lottery is I learned and got to know my good friend who is with us today, Dick Giggy. And so Dick was um, sentenced to be my coach <laughs> for a couple of years uh, through, the halftime, the, lottery. Yeah. <laughs> through the halftime uh, institute's process. They, they, uh, they, they, they uh, connect you with a certified coach and Dick was my guy. So this was all the way back in 2013. So our guest today is Dick Giggy and I am so excited to have you here, Dick. Yeah. Well, Jeff, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Um, the title of this uh, show or the podcast we're doing is so uh, relevant and so well depicts what your life has been committed to. And I know this is corresponding with the launch of your new book. I'm really excited about that. And uh, oh, thank you. I'm glad to yeah. be here today. You're you're a great friend. I've watched you from a distance from Nashville to Atlanta. Uh, Bonnie and I talked a bit about our visit over there. Uh, yeah. I took my wife to meet uh, with you and your wife, and we had a right. wonderful time together. She remembered it fondly. Actually, we talked about it yesterday, just how, how much fun, and she was impressed with uh, everything that we saw there. And so you've been doing a lot of good work for a long time. Thank well, you... Well, you have no idea the influence that you that you were on me and what we tried to do here. So, and still are. But let me just introduce Dick real quickly here. So, um, he's currently the founding partner of an organization called Fuel for Growth or Fuel. Uh, prior to that, he had a long and distinguished career in the marketplace. He was the president of a number of consumer products companies for over a forty year period. 
the last one was a group called Plus Mart, which is a subsidiary of American Greetings. You may be familiar with their seasonal gift wrapping products. Um, he is a co-founder of Thrift Smart that I want to talk about later today. He's become an expert on social entrepreneurship, really, um, as he's moved into his second half journey. Uh, he's, he mentioned he's married to Bonnie. They've been together, it looks like, for about 50 years. And 55, yeah, 55 50, years. 55 yeah. years now. Wow. And they've actually been... been dating for 59. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that's good. You're still dating. Yeah. Um, and he's got uh, a lot of, he's got four children, seven grandchildren. Uh, he is active in his church uh, in other organizations. But anyway, welcome, Dick. It's, it's, it's really great, great to have you. And I think the way I'd like to start, you just mentioned briefly, but tell me, just tell me briefly about yourself and your family and, and, and kind of, uh, you know, what, what you guys are about. So I guess in thinking about that, you know, I always ask people questions like that when I'm coaching, sort of get to know their story. The story really starts, uh, and I scare people when I say this, but I grew up on a farm and I'm not going to spend a lot of time back there, but. <laughs> I, I learned on the farm uh, the importance of work and the importance of family. Um, we had Everybody had a job to do, and we learned how to work together. And it's just meaningful to me, and, and I'm thankful for that experience growing up on the farm, and I think it's informed a lot of who I am today. But I have uh, been married to Bonnie for 55 years. Um, we have four married children, as you said, uh, three girls and a son. They're all actively engaged in their careers and family. Uh, they have, we have seven grandchildren. Uh, last weekend, we married our first granddaughter. Wow, congratulations. Um, had a fabulous time being together. All of our family was there. So uh, we have grandkids that are in college and exiting college, getting married. So life is full. Um, all of them, I'm thankful to say, are fully engaged in their own calling, and I think uh, walking with the Lord. And uh, cool. doesn't yeah. always happen like that, and doesn't mean that it's been perfect. We're like every family; we have our stuff, you know. But it's right. been a joy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, it's, it's it's awesome, and I know uh, since you left the the corporate world you've migrated into a lot of interest and a lot of things that you've been involved in and as you as you know a lot of people move into act two of their life thinking yeah. it's all about travel and golf and leisure and um fun uh and uh but you're really involved in a lot of stuff so what tell me a little bit about your career and how you moved into into your second half journey? What what was sort of the catalyst that moved yeah, you into some of the so things you're involved in? A couple of things really influenced me. You know, we, I had had a wonderful, um, enjoyable career in consumer products, manufacturing companies, and had a lot of good mentors, I would say, uh, that helped shape me and uh, gave me an opportunity to experience success and failure and uh, learned a lot through that process. But uh, we built um, the uh, the gift wrap company uh, to sell. And in, in uh, 2000, uh, we sold that to American Greetings. Okay. Um, I spent the next year and a half uh, ma managing the merger of CPS Corporation into um, Plusmark. And uh, kind of went, it was a funny time for me because I started my career at Hallmark. 
after mm. graduate school at Indiana University. I went to Taylor for undergrad and then went to IU. And I started at Hallmark and had a wonderful experience there. But there's a certain smell about paper products and the greeting card industry. And <laughs> I had all this time, 40 years, and we sold our company to a greeting card company and <laughs> found myself back in that place. And it was reminiscent. And I actually thought, well, here I am again. I guess I've made it full circle. But at the time, I was 55. Um, I had lots of energy and I had a lot of experience. And I, I had learned a lot through mentors and just great experience in over 40 years. And I felt really committed to giving it away. Um, I felt like hmm. I've been blessed. Uh, I want to give this back. And a couple of uh, people really influenced me. I read a book written by John Piper. Okay. That the title of the book was Don't Waste Your Life. And, you know, he pictured in the book, I still have this image of one of the statements he made. You could spend your life picking up seashells on the beach. Uh, or you could do something that will make a difference. And it, that was basically the essence of the book. And after we sold the company, I had read uh, Bob Buford's book called Halftime. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I was so inspired by what he was writing about and his thought process. I tried to track him down and he was elusive. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I knew several people in the book that he had written about. And through that, those net, that network, I was able to, I called his secretary at halftime and said, I'm trying to meet with Bob Can uh, he's not responding. Can you tell me where he is? I'll just meet him there. <laughs> and she said, well, he's speaking at Harvard this week for three days in Boston. So I said, well, is, are, is there any downtime? And we identified a half day and she made an appointment for me. I flew to Boston and met with Bob Buford for a half day. And honestly, it changed my my life. It was a, wow. a it was a hinge moment uh, for me because he inspired me with. Um, I mean, I had this thought about I want my I want my work to matter more. I'd had a great career, had really enjoyed what I did, but I wanted more meaning in my work, and I didn't know how to find that. And his book gave us a roadmap of a sort for that, and I had to talk to him. And so we spent a half a day together and. Man, I was inspired about the bigger picture. I, I knew about what my little world looked like, but he was sharing with me that a lot of what I was dreaming about was being done globally already. Hmm. And we didn't know what to call it at the time. Uh, we kind of talked about business's mission, business that had a purpose. Um, today, it's known as social enterprise, but uh, we, back in those days, it didn't even have a name. So I, I got involved with Bob and um, started traveling with him as a mentor to me and very inspired, came back. Everything in those days with halftime was about events. It was event driven. He had lots of books and tapes and we'd go someplace to a city, Chicago, New York, wherever we'd go, we'd have an event. We'd go home. And I always struggled with what happens after that. And so I had an event at my church in uh, Brentwood, Tennessee. Uh, had a full day event, one of one of those uh, uh, vision casting days and called a summit. At mm -hmm. the end of the day, we, we had about 160 people come. I had speakers and talked and really introduced halftime to Nashville. And at the end of that time, there were uh, six or excuse me, nine men that signed a survey card and said that God had shown them a change in their life and they needed help. 
So I got them together, met with them, and they all were telling me that you need to help me sell my company. I feel called by God to do something different. I don't know how to get there. Yeah. So I called Bob Buford back and I said, you know, this is uh, surprising to me and I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I got nine guys who want me to help them. <laughs> uh, you, Bob Buford, was mentored by Peter Drucker. Yeah. And yeah. Peter shared all of his management learning <clears throat> with Bob and, and Bob actually led Peter to Christ. And he hmm. wrote a book about it later called My Drucker and Me. And But anyway, I said, I got these men you guys talk about, this was a key phrase that I heard for a long time. Long-term change occurs locally in community over time. And I said to Bob, you've talked about that, but you don't have any community. It's all tapes and books. And I've got some men that want to have somebody walk with them. And I'd like to create a place where these men could ha uh, could be coached. And that was a word they hadn't used. So I said, I have an idea. You talk about halftime. Where do you go in halftime? Well, you go in the locker room. That's where you evaluate the plays of the first half right, and think about right. how do we fin how do we finish well. So, well, I like that. I said, well, um, I'll I'll get back to you. I said I want to give you a plan. I wrote a business plan, called him back in a week, and said, here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to create a coaching center called the locker room in uh, on the campus of my church. We're going to build it out, and uh, I'll I've got nine guys. We'll start with this. I'm going to coach them for a year. I'll bring them to Dallas. Uh, we'll we'll create a common language and see if it works. And I said, I, I need $150,000 to launch this pilot program. <laughs> he said, I'll put in 50 of my own money. Will you match it? And I didn't think he would. Yeah. But he did. He matched it. <laughs> you just have to ask. I felt like the dog that was chasing the bus. Now I yeah. need another. You caught it. Yeah. So I went back to my pastors at the church and said, I... Um, I need $50,000 to launch this program at the church. And they said, well, I told them it's a business, so it's not a nonprofit. And they said, well, we're in. We'll give you $50,000. We opened up the locker room. And for the next um, eight years, I coached out of that locker room and built what was a coaching practice for halftime. And it grew. We had 14 independent centers around the country that kind of, they didn't all use the locker room brand, but right. the idea of coaching emerged instead of just yeah. having books and tapes. And uh, so, these are, so these are, it was coaching business professionals who were looking for something more in the second half. These are all executives, yeah. basically men and women who'd had mm -hmm. a successful career. And for some reason, life had turned over on them. They'd sold a company They'd made a lot of money. They lost a spouse. They lost a company. Whatever it was, they were in a point of transition and they needed some help to figure out how to get from there to where where they should be. Yeah. And that began our coaching experience. And I did that really for eight years and and loved it. Coached probably a hundred people. And during that time, you were one of the great leaders that I had the privilege of walking with. And I saw a lot of transformation of people's lives. Yeah. It was a joy to me. And along about that time, the church decided they wanted the building back. <laughs> <laughs> and so I prayed about it, wasn't happy about it, but I felt like God was, uh, you know, you've, there's another book called Necessary Endings. Mm -hmm. I felt like yeah. this must be one of those times. And so yeah. I'd been pursued by young entrepreneurs. There was no coaching available, but a lot of people were coming to the locker room and so I created another business uh, basically to help young entrepreneurs. 
uh, to raise capital, build community around them with banking, legal, and financial, offer some advisory services to help them to scale their business, and then finally to have a discipleship component. I would put them into little roundtable groups and uh, disciple them to learn how to integrate their faith in their work more effectively. Right. Yeah, and that's great. It was, um, so it became Fuel for Good and began to do that. And Nashville is a booming center for entrepreneurship. Um, and at the same time, during that period of transition, um, th this was a pivotal point for me. I had been traveling with business leaders. I'd take guys like you to Africa or South America to try to open up your heart and let God show you what might be happening in your heart. Because the second half journey, the first half is a lot about the head. We make decisions. It's empirical. It's tactical. The second half journey is a lot more about the heart. And so I began to realize that I was traveling in Malawi, in Africa. This was a pivotal point for me. Um, it was 2003. I was with a group of uh, business leaders. We we had we were distributing uh, irrigation treadle pumps. Malawi was in a famine, tough time. Lots of people had lost their livelihood. We were distributing pumps to individual farmers. We had a day off. So what do you do when you get a day off? Well, I took the business guys to the prison. Oh, gee. <laughs> we, we went to one of the largest prisons in Africa in wow. the capital city called Lilongwe. And it was a desperate <clears throat> place, Jeff. Um, picture this, we drove through a big grassy field, lots of uh, roadway leading up to a high wire fence that was maybe 25 feet high. Around the fence, the perimeter of that were women and children standing there starving. Oh, gee. Uh, inside the prison, we went in with Muslim-led uh, prison. We went inside, shared our faith, had a little bit of a scuffle. I wasn't <laughs> sure I was going to get out. <laughs> but on the way out of the prison, there was a concrete building that we I said, well, what is that? And I walked into this block building. It was empty. Uh, the smell was so pungent that my eyes burned and my nose, I could hardly stand the, the, the pungent smell. I said, what is this? And they said, well, that's the dormitory. And I said, well, what do you mean? There's no furniture in here. And they said, well, we bring the men in at night. The first layer lays on the concrete floor. The second layer climbs over them and lays on top of them. Oh, my goodness. We stack the men in that room almost to the ceiling. And and this is in 2003. Yeah. And lock them in at night. That's where they sleep. I said, well, they must they must die. How do they survive? The response was, well, they do. Lots of them die, but they're they're just throwaways. They're they're oh my. The the whole thing experience was just so unbelievable. And we left there and I went the next day. We were back to our agricultural thing. And I was I never left the prison. Mentally, yeah. There yeah. were sixteen hundred men in that prison. Wow. And so somebody said, well, Dick, where are you? You're not here. And I said, well, have you been to the prison? These were local people. And they said, well, no, why would we do that? I said, well, here we are trying to restore farmers one at a time. They don't have land. They don't have water. And they don't have any, any resources to do this. I said, why? The prison has acres of land, 1,600 workers who could be put to work and they have water. 
why don't we take this system of irrigating the land to the prison, train the men to work, create food for them. They were being fed about a, two inches of cornmeal every day, and they were dying. And their spouses and children were starving to death. And the smell and the, the image of yeah. that was overwhelming. We went back to the prison, made a proposal to the wardens. They accepted it. Before we left, we raised $30,000 to go back to that prison to buy seed, cultivate that land, uh, equipment. And at the end of 2003 and 2004, I started getting images, reports back. Fields were harvesting, where we're planted with corn and cabbage. And what we did, what we created, this was my first. And by the way, the last $10,000 was uh, used to acquire a milling, piece of milling equipment, which the prison used to harvest grain for everybody around in the area. They created a revenue stream that was sufficient to build a dormitory and a chapel on the campus of that prison. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And- that was an image of what Bob had been talking about. That was my first yeah. experience with a social enterprise. Yeah. 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 So go ahead. would you define what that is? How you, how would you define a social enterprise? Yeah, I think um, I came back to Nashville and realized we had poverty here. And I, I wanted to find a way to use the business experience that I had acquired over all these years to create an economic engine that would be sustainable to fund uh, ministry and overcome poverty in Nashville and and to sustain charitable work. And that's what happened at the prison. When we look back at it, we created an economic engine right. to serve to be that and make it a yeah. better place, yeah. to do good. And it was perpetual. It's still operating today. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. So, I would say it's it's using experience, business experience, to create an economic engine, to create that's sustainable, to create a revenue stream to fund uh, some other good purpose. And wow. uh, yeah, ThriftSmart was built on that. ThriftSmart was we had three values really: uh, create jobs, serve low-income families in the poorest neighborhood of Nashville. Very diverse. 26 languages in that neighborhood. And the third goal that we set was to give all the money to charity. We, we were going to give it a hundred percent of the profit away. Yeah. So this, so this is thrift smart that you started in Nashville after you saw the example of what right. you were able to create in, in Africa. It, it was the inspiration in 2003. And I started getting feedback in 04. We created thrift smart in 2005. Okay. I yeah. had a partner. We knew how to, we, we said to ourselves, we know how to make money. Let's, use the, the money and what we've learned uh, for a kingdom purpose. And so ThriftSmart was born. Here we are 18 years later. Yeah, it's been a huge success. Oh, the Lord has been so good to us, Jeff. Um, we struggled, made a lot of mistakes, took me two and a half years. We opened one small store and it was, it was amazing, made money the first month. Yeah, We could do this. We opened a big store. It took two and a half years to make it cash flow. Bonnie was wondering if we were ever going to get out of that. <laughs> I mean, you know, in the corporate world, there's money and perks and, you know, yeah. think of all that stuff. Well, I became an entrepreneur yeah, you know, making payroll and paying rent and everything <laughs> was going out, not paying yeah. And we had some struggles with it. Um, yeah. And, what and we you, 
we created a model to to replicate. We thought we would franchise it ultimately, but after a couple of years, um, we it started working. And it's a long story around that, yeah. which I won't go into. But yeah, I uh, I came back in two thousand eight. I can remember January and told my wife Bonnie was pretty discouraged about this story of mine. (laughs) And I said, you know, I'm going to go back into the store and run it. I think I know how to fix it. Um, It might take me six months. And if we're not cash flowing by June of 2008, then I'm going to resign and give it to the board. Well, we started cash flowing in May. We've never had a month where we didn't make money since May of 2000. And today, um, we're collecting 140,000 pounds of clothes every month. Um, we're generating revenue over a quarter of a million dollars every month. And this month, I think we hit 300,000. Yeah. End of October. And, and where are the, and where are the profits going? So we give all of the profit to four charities, um, that are all based in middle Tennessee here in Franklin. Yeah. Yeah. They support Africa, Belize, a local Christian, uh, charter school and a medical clinic that provides, um, health insurance, health, health services to families without insurance in about 35 counties in middle Tennessee. Okay. Let me, let me ask you a question Did I hear you, right? All of this started after you were 55 years old. You, you <laughs> weren't you supposed to be playing golf? <laughs> um, well, if you watched me play golf, you would probably realize it wasn't a career. Somebody would tell me to keep okay. the day job. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And I love to fly fish and I do, you can tell from behind me, maybe I like, yeah. But yeah. you know what? Um, it was a calling. I, I yeah. knew that this is what God had for me. And it started with that experience in Malawi. Wow. Yeah. And and so um, now with Fuel, which is your latest, I guess your latest, I don't know, it may not be, you may have well, started something since Fuel. But I've got a couple of things. Uh, so, yeah, so Fuel, you're coaching other entrepreneurs, is that correct? And helping them raise correct. capital. To right. do the same kind of thing you did, uh, both in the corporate world, but also with the thrift market. That's correct. We've created a, an advisory company to come mm-hmm. alongside early stage uh, entrepreneurs and middle market companies, raise capital, help them with legal financial services, and then advise them to scale and disciple the leaders. And so that business is thriving. Um, I typically in that business, when I first started, I I, I didn't like what was happening, Jeff. I got way down in the weeds and I was consulting and I decided I I don't want to be in the weeds. I want to work with leaders yeah. and help them to scale their business, but also to understand their calling. Yeah. Uh, what has God called you to do in that business? And how do you make which is it? Exactly, which is exactly what you were doing with in the locker room. Right. Yeah. And so uh, that's been a fun experience. And so what we've done here recently is that, um, you know, I was out of coaching in halftime for about that period from 2014 until uh, 2020, six years. And I had some halftimers in Nashville who were pestering me. One of them was a wealth advisor. Jeff Dobines um, has one of the largest, he has Southwestern Investment Group uh-huh. here. Yep. I coached him. Uh, he was in, he was a crazy driven guy headed for a disaster, nonstop work. Um, he'll t- he has some podcasts, that, uh, YouTube things but that show this. But um, he and his wife came to meet with me in the locker room, and his wife, Amy, yeah. cried. She was worried about where he was going to end up. Yeah, We coached him out of 
this micromanagement into a great wealth management company. Yeah. And he said to me for two or three years, you got to get back into halftime. I have people that need that kind of coaching. And so yeah. we opened a new coaching center here called the Legacy Center. Yeah. It has four members. We do coaching and counseling. Um, it's the base home base for halftime Nashville and and for fuel. And um, we're our focus here is to uh, really coach and counsel high capacity leaders in Nashville. We believe that there's enough capital here, uh, human capital and um resources to change the world out of middle Tennessee. And that's oh, cool. What to do. <laughs> well, let me, let me get this back to the audience for a moment. So, so my audience that I sort of target are, are individuals who are interested in having more meaning and purpose and joy and freedom in their life um, as they potentially transition to the second half or to act two, as I call it. Yeah. Um, so can you kind of give my audience some counsel? If you were talking to a mid to late career professional who was thinking about what's next, yeah. uh, you know, again, in just a few minutes, I know you can't do the depth that you do in your coaching, but give me some general ideas of a process that an individual might go through if they were struggling with those kinds of questions. Yeah. And there's a large group of people in that, especially since the pandemic. A lot of people find themselves in a different business than they had. The market's changed, and there's a lot of people who are considering a transition. The halftime coaching process I found over all this time is great for any kind of transition. Uh, it was designed to help men and women in the middle figure out how to finish well, how to do act two. Mm -hmm. um, and, and over all that time, you know, Bob Buford used to have a, a mantra that said uh, his book, actually, and the theme of everything was success to significance. Right. And I met a lot of uh, men and women who had had significance in their first half. And Bob and I used to have a pretty healthy debate about that. He would always say people have to leave their platform the way to find significance is leave success and use that as the foundation for the next season, the next act. And I began to realize, Jeff, that you don't have to leave your platform, that a lot of the people, you're a good example. I mean, we walked together in 2013. You had a vision, a thriving business, and what you were looking for was how to have more impact with what God had given you. And so I began to realize that people don't need to leave their platform. In fact, the advice I typically give somebody who's thinking about a transition is enter into a coaching process uh, before you leave your platform. Um, behind me is a picture of a fly fishing scene, and I won't go into a lot of depth about it, but I was fishing in San Miguel River in Telluride, Colorado. Yeah. I had an experience where I, I, I caught a bunch of fish in a hole. My line got tangled. I walked up to get it out and I looked and around the bend was a beautiful, another beautiful fishing spot. But some of the water that hit that bend spun out and went over to the left and it was shallow. It was warm foam on it. And it was a place where trout die because it's too warm. The water hmm. does, gotcha. they don't survive. Doesn't move. Yeah. And I had coached a fair number of people who got, and that's called an eddy. And I had coached a fair number of people who got stuck in the eddy 
and they mm. made bad financial decisions, decisions that morally got them in trouble because they lost their identity. Mm. And I began to recognize that I just saw that there was a lot going on around the bend. And I began to encourage my clients to stay on your platform until you know what's around the bend. And we created, we have a process that helps people figure that out. And it's all about understanding who you are at the core. You know, what is your mission yeah. values? I worked with th uh, hundreds of executives who helped their companies create a mission statement and hardly any of them had a personal mission statement. Mm. Yeah. And the mission is important because it helps you define what you're going to do, but it also helps you to decide what not to do. Yeah. And so it gets you focused. And so we work with a process, starts with the mission, vision, values, who you are at the core. And then it helps you to understand what is your margin? What kind of capacity do you have to make a difference from here? And that's basically the elements of time, talent, and treasure. Right. Evaluate yeah, I, yeah I, I like what you said about your debates and your realization uh, about finding out kind of who you are at the core. You know, right. what what who you're and, you know, I, I I had an opportunity to meet Mr. Buford on my trip to Nashville for mm -hmm. coaching. And I there are two things that I think struck me. He 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 actually said, you know, it was success to significance. But in this season of my life, I realized it should have probably just been surrender. You know, Bingo, you hit it right on the head. Surrender. So not success to significance, but to surrender. But yeah. he also recommended some of Richard Rohr's work. And right. I know Richard Roy has a great book called uh, The Immortal Diamond, which is all about right. your soul right. and your true self. And that's kind of what you're trying to help people excavate. Right. Right. What, you know, who are you? Why are you here? You know, what what is the, what's the Holy Spirit inside you want you to do yeah. uh, with, the, with the gifts that you've given? So that's pretty that's pretty insightful. So in terms of the process, it starts with that, I guess, finding out kind of who you are. Yeah, it's about understanding who you are at the core. It's about evaluating your capacity. What kind of margin do you have? I like to help people create margin while they're on their platform. I'm coaching uh, and I put people into a round table. The process is about putting people in that community where they yeah. find encouragement, accountability. Um, the, the little community acts almost like a personal board. And we evaluate right. the journey that they're on and help them Together. figure out what yeah. is the next season? What's the best fit for you? That's yeah. kind of the key. But you said it, um, Jeff, it's not about success to significance. It's about surrender. And it's about making eye contact with the Lord in that second half journey of the heart. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I had my 77th birthday um, a week ago. <laughs> and Happy birthday. I, I never quit learning. And I want you to know that I haven't, hadn't figured this all out. I mean... <laughs> Probably six years ago, I ran across a new curriculum that my church developed for discipleship, and it's called The Journey of the Heart. And in the process of going through that, I, I got in it because I wanted to use it in my coaching, and it's terrific. I use it today. Yeah. yeah. I realized in that process, you know, it's a question. It, there's four quadrants in the heart. You think, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? What do you want? That's an important question. What do you want your life to be? And then what are the options that you have? What choices can you make? And I went down deep into that. And I realized, Jeff, I was so driven myself that a lot of my life, I had lived it really running ahead of the Lord. Hmm. I've been following Jesus since college. And uh, 
but I have I'm 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 running ahead a lot of times and and I I found myself getting up in the morning. I mean, I rise at 4:30 or 5. I love the mornings and I'd have make the coffee and I'd have a devotional, but my mind was already moving to yeah. my nine o'clock meeting or 10 o'clock. And I didn't like that. I I was controlling it. I wasn't letting go of that stuff. Yeah. A lot of what I had told my clients, you got to let it go. I wasn't actually pricing it. Myself. And yeah. so I ch- I changed my behavior. I started. I get up at four thirty, make the coffee. I go upstairs and sit in the dark. And I sometimes I read a psalm, I meditate. But honestly, Jeff, most of that time is just being quiet and listening. Just listening, yeah. To the Holy Spirit, yeah. and I never heard him speak. I haven't heard an audible <laughs> voice. But I'll tell you what happened is I began to learning to let go and let God let him have the day, let him have the yeah. nine o'clock meeting. Yeah, and. Just as an example, I might have had a meeting with somebody. It was strategic. We were going to talk about this and that. I decided to go unprepared, and it scared me because I'm all about being ready. Yeah, yeah. Meeting, and instead of talking about strategy, do you know what happened? The man that I was meeting with started talking about his faith and his struggle and stuff with wrestling. Yeah. I mean, I I even get a little thinking about how that turned so quickly. I knew that the Holy Spirit had it. Without an agenda, without and your I agenda, began, yeah. I began to do that every morning, and it's changed how I how I behave, really. And so yeah. I want to say, even at seventy years of age, I was still learning how yeah. to surrender every day. Yeah, and I think that's the journey that we're all on. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, this has been this has been fantastic, Dick. I I, I know that uh-huh. our listeners have got a lot of value out of your out of your story. I I, I know. Um, you know, Lloyd Reeb wrote a book with a halftime group, you know, called uh, Halftime Stories, you know, a great right. big coffee book that right. I give the clients because right. I, I think it's very encouraging. And your story Thank is you. just like that. It's really, really encouraging for people to see. Uh, and everybody's got uh, a unique path. Uh, you know, yours doesn't have to be uh, someone else's and mine doesn't have to be someone else's. But I think it's a process right. around yeah. around it. And at 55 or 77, it's not too late. It's never yeah. too late. Well, you to, know, to, I, I realize we, we, our stories are unique and we've hung on to Ephesians 2.10 as a, a really a, a model of what we're trying to do because we are a unique creation in Christ Jesus, you know, and we're made different than somebody else. I'm different than you and our story is unique, but God knows the story in advance. He's prepared work for us ahead of time. If we can figure out what that is and walk in alignment with that, there's great We're joy good. and purpose in that. And uh, yeah. that's a secret to it. Um, very, that, yeah, you know, very I, encouraging. Yeah. Um, I wanted to share one more thing, if I can. Please, of course. You know, today I'm active. I love what I'm doing. Um, lots of grandkids and life is full. Um, one of the things at halftime that we've created, I, I know, how do we connect? You and I have been disconnected for a while, and I love this bit. opportunity. Yeah. Um, We've been working on that. And, you know, Bob had this image of 100x, uh, you know, multiply parable of the talents. And we've created right. uh, in the halftime process, we've created um, a global portal called Thousandfold. Hmm. And I want you to go there and check it out. And any of your listeners can go to thousandfold.org. It is a um, it's a movement that's been created by halftime to connect people globally. We've got thousands of alumni around the world. 
And the idea of this is sort of like a LinkedIn portal. Hmm. You'll put your profile in there and you'll automatically be connected to other people around the world that have the same passion or involved in the same wow. uh, work. And um, we, we've been in a year in development. Uh, we did a simulation in September and we're launching uh, for early adopters in November. It's actually wow. And I'd yeah. like to invite you, Jeff. I'm going to send you some information. Please do. Be an earlier adopter with me and maybe 30 others uh, that I'm going to identify to get on the on the portal, on the platform. And uh, it's going to be amazing. It, oh, I'm excited to see it. It will be the connector for thousands of alumni to do yeah. kind of what we're doing right here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very, very exciting. Well, if people want to learn more about you and what you're doing, I mean, is that the best place to go yeah, or is I'd there say, other places that well, you might I promote? And, websites, but I'd say the best place to go is going to be to go there. I'll be there. Okay. Thousandfold.org. I'll have a, my own profile will be in there and you can stay in touch with me even as, and with you as, as our life changes and moves through this journey, it's going yeah. to be, um, it's going to be live. On that, yeah. on that website. Well, that's very exciting. Anything else you'd like to share with our audience before we wrap up yeah, today, Dick? Just, this has been great. Yeah, I just want to say thanks to you. Um, you know, I'm. you have had 36 years, Jeff, of really living in God's calling hmm. for you. And uh, you've had tremendous impact. Um, I, I know that. And I'm thankful for what you've done. I'm thankful for your family. You and I have shared a lot of family things. And yeah. The journey together with you has been really significant, and well, I've already ordered your book. I should get it <laughs> by, by Friday. Oh, good. See it, and I want to encourage all the listeners to to dive into that because there's a lot of God has a purpose for our life, and our money is a means to an end that's different than you know picking up seashells on the beach. And right. uh, I think I want to encourage people to go to thousandfold, contact a coach, talk to you. We all need a coach. And yeah. you've been a great coach to lots of uh, men and women. And I'm grateful for the privilege to walk with you and to know you. So, Well, thank you. Well, thank you, Dick. That's incredibly flattering coming from someone that I respect so much who has, again, mentored me all these many years ago as I started uh, wrestling with some of these things. So thanks again for joining us, Dick. This has been awesome. Um, and again, as Dick said, as you may all know, I my book was recently released, The Money and Meaning Journey. You can learn more about that uh, yeah. at jeffbernierauthor.com. Uh, it's also available at, at all the online retailers as well. So check it out. Get it at you, Amazon. <laughs> yeah, it's at Amazon and other places as well. But at any yeah. rate, thank you so much. If you want to reach out to me, I, I'm available at Money and Meaning at tandemgrowth.com. And until next time, thanks a lot and uh, enjoy your day. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you for listening to the Money and Meaning Show with Jeff Bernier, a show dedicated to help you gain the confidence and freedom to lead a life of personal significance and help you get your actions and resources in alignment with what matters most. We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions for Jeff or comments on the show, feel free to reach out to us at moneyandmeaning at tandemgrowth.com. Or you can find us on the web at www.tandemgrowth.com. Jeff Bernier is the President and Chief Investment Officer at Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. 
This show is a production of Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC. All information discussed is general in nature, is provided for informational purposes only, and should not be construed as specific financial, legal, or tax advice. Listeners should consult an attorney or tax professional regarding their specific legal or tax situation. Listeners should not rely on the content of this podcast as the basis for any investment decisions. A professional advisor should be consulted and or independent due diligence should be conducted before implementing anything discussed in this show. While information presented is believed to be factual and up-to-date, Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC, does not guarantee its accuracy and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed. Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC, does not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information prepared by any unaffiliated third party, such as guests on the podcast, and takes no responsibility for the same.